Well, it is the most wonderful time of the year. It's finals week. It's finals week. Man, you guys come in heavy. And when it comes to finals week, you need a plan. You've got to have a plan for how you're going to study. How much are you going to study? Who are you going to study with? Sometimes, studying with certain people is a smart thing to do. You've got to have a plan for not studying with certain people. And studying with other people who may be smarter than you, they can help you get that A on that test. Are you going to cram everything in the night before? Or are you going to try to you know, schedule everything out and alternate between various classes and the tests that you've got to study for? What's your plan? Not having a plan can negatively affect your final grade in the class. In a similar way, not having a plan for pursuing holiness over the Christmas break can prove to be detrimental to your spiritual health. Instead of coming back refreshed, you can come back empty, full of regret for all the time that you waste over the break. And so what I want to do is I want to help us think about how to use our Christmas break for God's glory and for your spiritual good. All right, so to summarize kind of where we've been, we've learned that holiness is becoming like Jesus, who is the Holy One of God. And it's only by being in Christ, that is, united to Christ by the Spirit, through faith, that we talked about last week. It's only by being united to Christ that we can become like Christ. Only by being in Christ we can become like Christ. And our union with Christ it is, is inevitably, right, it will inevitably deepen our communion with Christ. That means our fellowship. It's going to deepen that fellowship and that intimacy in our relationship with Him. And this morning I want to think about how to deepen that relationship. These are some ways that I think that we can deepen that relationship over the Christmas break, but really throughout the rest of your life. God has given us provisions for holiness, and we're responsible for making use of those provisions. We talked about that last week. But how do we do that? God works the miracle of sanctification, but how do we act the miracle? I want us to consider three pathways for deepening our communion with Christ and our pursuit of holiness. You've got to lay your hand out. The first one is God's communication with us. And one way that we deepen our communion, our fellowship with Christ, is just through the Word of God. Through the Word of God. Secondly, is our communion, or our communication with God. And that's prayer. And then finally, the community of God's people, being belonging to a community of God's people, church. So those are the three things. Three pathways I'm going to look at this morning. There are more provisions, there are more pathways that God has given to us in pursuing holiness. But I just want to look at these three broad categories. So understand, we're not skiing on top of the water. We're going to do a scuba dive in these three areas. These historically have been called the means of grace. That's just what Christianity has called them throughout time, the means of grace. Which means that God has provided for us the pathways of his grace that we can place ourselves on that pathway right, in order to deepen our fellowship with Christ. So we need to develop habits to regularly place ourselves on that pathway so that we may have greater joy in Christ. So let's look at the first one, God's communication with us and His work. Understand, this is going to be highly practical. So the first two weeks, we got into a lot of theological language. We talked a lot just about holiness. This is going to be very practical. may even seem like a fire hose. A lot of the things, I think, are probably things you've heard of, but they serve as good reminders. Throughout the Bible, we always get commands 
to remind ourselves of these things. And this is one of those commands, to remind yourselves, to remind yourselves of these things. So God's communication with us. It's been said that God is communicated with us for communion with Him. He speaks to us through His Word, and the Word is the means to enjoy Him. So God's purpose in revealing Himself to us is to make friends with us. It's the purpose. He has revealed Himself to us and makes friends with us in His Son, who is the Word of God made flesh, John 1.14. Who is the very image of the invisible God, as Paul says in Colossians 1.15, in whom the fullness of God was pleased to, to dwell. Colossians 1.19. And so we commune with Christ through the Word. In John 15, Jesus is speaking to his disciples on how to live as they wait for his second coming. And in John 15.7, Jesus connects their abiding in him with their abiding in his words. He says, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Jesus is telling us that abiding in him means that his words are abiding in us. So we don't just abide in Christ by obeying him, though that is true, but also by his teaching taking hold of our hearts. So deeper fellowship with Christ can happen, right? It can happen without knowing the truth about Christ and the word of truth. So that's why a couple of chapters later, Jesus prays to the Father in John 17, 17, that the Father would sanctify them as his disciples in the truth. Your word is truth. So one of the means of progressively becoming like Jesus is through God's word. And it's the word that bears witness to Jesus. In whom is eternal life. In John chapter 5, speaking to the Jews, Jesus testified about himself that he's the way, the truth, and the life. He is the standard of truth by which all else is tested. And it's through communing with him in the word that we become like him. And so you can't have deep fellowship with someone if you don't spend time with them. Before my wife, Kristen, and I were together, I had my eye on her. But what was the best way for me to get to know her? What was the best way for me to get to know her? I could have talked to her friends and just gotten a bunch of facts about her. I could have done that. Hey, tell me a little bit about her. You know, like, what's her things? What does she like to eat? What's her favorite color? What's her style of dress? Is it Bohemian? What is it? Okay. I know these things, ladies. I could have also Facebook stalked her for hours on there, trying to gain every little piece of information to learn about her. Not only that, I could also hang out with her around her friends just to kind of see how she interacts. You know, get to know her personality a little bit better. But all of those ways will inevitably fall short from truly getting to know her. What did I need? What did I need to do? Exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. You're in a relationship. You know these things. Right? All that falls short from getting to truly know her. In order for me to know her, I needed to talk to her. How am I actually going to know what she believes, what she thinks, what she feels, and what she's like without personally talking to her, spending time with her? And friends, it's the same way with our fellowship with Christ. How can you love someone that you don't interact with? 
you love someone you don't interact with? But the glorious reality is that God has spoken to us in His Word. In His Word, as we learned about last week in 2 Peter, God has given to us everything that we need for life and Godliness. Everything that you need. Think of There's not something that's kind of just left out there that God's waiting to kind of throw at you, like, hey, here's a hidden revelation. You know? Jesus calls God. That's not what it's getting. There's not anything else left out there in order for you to go get. God's already given it all through you in His Word. He's given you everything that you need for life and Godliness. So how can we commune with Christ in the Word? How will we get practical? We need to set a time, place, we need to set a time. We've got to set a time. And I know it sounds uber holy, right? As the psalmist tells us in Psalm 1, verse 2, that the blessed man or woman is the one who delights on the law of the Lord and meditates on it. What? You can meditate on this thing all day long, day and night. Any time is a good time to meditate on the Word of God. But what's the reality? We are sinners. We are sinners. There's a problem. It's that the things of the world, like final exams this week, laziness, any number of things can distract us from spending time with Christ in the Word. And so we need to be sure to set a time in getting in the Word. That is a higher priority than your grade in a class. It is. It's a higher priority than me trying to Scurry and prep this lesson all throughout the morning. Right? It's a higher priority than that. Even though this is spiritual in nature. So my suggestions. Okay? Number one. I mean, this is under set of time, okay? I'm trying to be clear on where we're going. My suggestions for this in getting time with the Lord. Give the Lord the best part of your day. Some people will slap you in the face. We're not saying, first thing in the morning when you wake up. Start the day. And that's good. I think that's wise advice. I think that's good. But in one sense, it's almost like getting ready to preach. You really, in preparation for preaching, want to give God your best hours of the day. When do you think the best? Is it in the morning once you wake up? In college, that's the way it was for me. Didn't matter how early, I was rocking and rolling early in the morning. Nowadays, after kids have beat the crud out of you, that's not the case. <laughs> that is not the case. It's a couple hours after I wake up that I'm at my best. It's later in the afternoon that I'm at my best. After that little nap period between 2 and 3, you know how it is when you want to pass out after lunch? That's probably not the best time to get to work. You're going to be passing out. At night, as you lay in your bed, it may not be the best time to get to work. And it may not be the best time to get to work for you early in the morning, as soon as you wake up. But what is it for you? That's the point. Give the Lord the best part of the day. If you're alert and engaged and you think better in the morning, spend time in the morning. If it's a couple hours after you've been up, do it then. Also, how much time do you spend in the morning? You can spend 10 minutes. You can spend 2 hours. It, that's not the important thing. The important thing when you're, when you're in the Word is that you're setting aside time to give undivided attention to the Lord. However, the more time you spend with the Lord, I also recognize, as I said just a minute ago, right, we don't want to just kind of shove this to the side because often if you don't start out at the 
first part of your day with it, it often just kind of gets shipped to the side. And we kind of, oh, I'll do it at lunch. Oh, snap, something came up. I'll do it at dinner. Oh, man, my friends are doing that. I've got it, you know. And then you just keep pushing and pushing and pushing it off. And so preferably, yes, it's great to have it in the morning. But I think most importantly, if you discipline yourself well, do it whenever you're most engaged. Second, set a place. Set a place. You've got to get a routine, and every so often, in order to keep it fresh, move locations. All right, so the important thing is that you know where you're going to read the word. I don't suggest reading it in your bed, as I'm going to go, as I said, right as you're about to fall asleep. It's probably not best to go to law savings and have your kind of QT so everybody can see you. you know? Your time with the Lord can be seen holy. And everybody's going crazy because it's final week. That's probably not going to be your best bet. It'd be very hard for me to focus on that case. I'd be looking at people watching the whole time. I couldn't do that. So set a place. Don't go to a loud, crowded thing place. Go to a quiet place. You can meditate. You can pray. And preferably pray aloud. As you can hear with Christ. Next, set a plan. Know what you're going to read before you sit down. I think some helpful ways to think about this is reading for breath and reading for depth. Reading for breath and reading for depth. Uh, one of the great ways uh, to read for breath is just Bible reading plans. Right? The yearly, kind of read the Bible in a year reading plans. Those are fantastic. They're wonderful. They help you see the forest or the trees. What do I mean by that? They help you get the big picture of the Bible rather than just kind of like little snippets as you go. It's hard for you to kind of connect things. So, great uh, great Bible reading plans or a chronological Bible reading plan. Right now, I'm reading through one that's called the five-day Bible reading plan. Five-day Bible reading plan. So, it goes chronologically through the scriptures, but also thematically, which is really helpful because what they'll do is they'll match up other scriptures along with those scriptures that kind of uh, relate to one another just thematically, which is really, really helpful. They help put the scriptures together. I like that one in particular. Um, there are many that do kind of the, you know, read from different genres of scripture from four different places. Those are helpful as well. You could read from Genesis from the front to the back, Genesis to Revelation, all the way through the Bible. Um, yeah. I think probably one of the most effective ways, other than just the, the five-day Bible reading program, I think one of the most effective ways, though, is for you to sit down and just read one book of the Bible completely all the way through. One of the most helpful things ever. So, for instance, if you set aside time, and I know you think I'm crazy, but you're about more Christmas break, you will have hours of empty space in your schedule. But if you set aside time to just read through the book of Mark, Gospel of Mark in like, I don't know, what, an hour and a half, maybe two hours, you are going to be able to understand and see the various things of Mark. There are going to be things that you're going to see higher up that you didn't see because we're just looking at, you know, story after story after story. Whereas you're reading it all together, then you're seeing how all these stories are brought together in the larger story of the Gospel of Mark. And so read an entire book of the Bible several times. Over and over and over. Look for the structure of it, where it shifts. Look for themes. As well, read for depth. This is what we call meditation. I love John Piper's quote. I quoted it uh, when I was preaching on Psalm 1. I love this quote. He's known for responding to his kids' complaints when they were growing up 
about a book's difficulty. This book is hard. And of course, Pike immediately is, just responds back, and he says, Breaking is easy, but all you get is a piece. Digging is hard, but you might find diamonds. And friends, when we slow down and we meditate on God's word, we are marveling at the diamonds in God's word. That's what we're doing. And so we got to slow down. However, this meditation isn't like a non-Christian system of meditation where we just got to empty our minds. That's not what meditation is biblically. Meditation biblically is filling your mind with biblical theological truths, rolling it over in your mind, trying to chew on it and to get every flavor of it in your mind. It's slowing down from just cruising through your Bible reading book. I think both are good. I also think there are seasons for both, or seasons for one uh, rather than the other. So there are seasons where you just want to study the book of the Bible. And then you want to move to reading through the Bible in a year. Some of you may have enough time to be able to do both. That's great. I always felt guilty for not doing both because I was like, you know, but I've got like this, you know, I, want to, I just want to study this passage or I want to study this book. I always felt guilty about that. Don't feel guilty about it. There are going to be seasons for both, okay? Don't worry about that. Next. All right, so getting practical on ways to meditate. So Keller is super helpful on raising questions on meditating on Psalms. I would say get a journal. I think a journal is really helpful. I use this for, uh, for Keller's um, questions for meditating on Psalms. And it's super practical and super helpful whenever you sit down to just write. Because the more that you get your senses involved, right? You're looking at the text. You're reading the text. You're feeling the text. Right? You can see it. You're writing about the text. The more that you get involved, the better chance that you stand to be able to remember it. And so get a journal. Write these things down. Keller's three questions. I think this is super helpful. They are adore, admit, and aspire. Adore, admit, and aspire. So as you're meditating on the Psalms, what did you learn about God for which you could praise or thank Him? So adore. What did you learn about God for which you could praise or thank Him? And then admit. What did you learn about yourself for which you could repent? What do you learn about in the text for which you could repent? Right here, often when you're looking at the text, you're looking at the fallen condition, the sinfulness of the human being, ways that they're not thinking biblically within those songs. That's where you want to resonate with ourselves. We want to resonate with. Where do I do that? Where do I think like David? You know, where I need Nathan to come to me in Psalm 51 and say, you're the man. Right? Where am I thinking like David? That's how I'm asking. So we need to admit. What do we learn about, your, what do you learn about yourself for which you could repent? And then aspire. What did you learn about your life that you could aspire? Or what did you learn about life that you could aspire to? That you could ask for and act on? Adore, admit, aspire. As well, I think whenever you sit down and get the word, I think it's helpful just to think of gospel questions. It's just very simple. So if you've only got 15 minutes, you can read the text twice and then just ask four simple questions. I mean, that's a solid time in the word. And then we'll talk about praying, praying that in a minute. So the first question is, what does the text teach me about God? Just gospel questions. What does the text teach me about God? What does the text teach me about myself? What does it teach me about man? So, 
I learned something about mankind, well, I, I need to know that's why he's teaching me about myself. How does it point to Christ? That's the third question. How does it point to Christ? All the scriptures point to Jesus. The road to Emmaus, Jesus appears to two disciples, and he begins with the scriptures, beginning with Moses, through the prophets, and shows them how all the scriptures point to him. They're all about him. They're all whispering his name. And then lastly, how am I to respond to these truths? How do I respond to these truths in the world? Possible question. Next, memorize the word. So this goes along kind of with meditation, but memorize it. Memorizing scripture helps us to think God's thoughts after him. I love the way that one author put it. He says, it molds our minds as much as humanly possible to mimic the folds and the creases in the mind of God. It's a good way to put it. We often think of scripture memory as just being used for you know, a later date when you need to fight against temptation. When you need a word to give whenever you're evangelizing somebody, we often think it's just for some later date. But in reality, it's how we seek to be transformed by the renewing of our minds day in and day out. So a couple of tips for memorizing the word. You can understand, you're not just memorizing the word, as I just said a minute ago with meditation. You're not just memorizing the word. All the Pharisees and the religious leaders of, the world, of, of Jesus' day did and yet they were still lost. We're memorizing the word as how it points to Jesus. Okay? I want to think about this word. I want to meditate on it. I want to memorize it. But I also want to understand how it relates to Christ. That's what we're wanting. We're wanting to fuel our affections for Jesus. We're not just rote memory. We're wanting to just be refreshed by the word. Memorize it. So, seek to memorize few sections. Whole chapters. Whole books, even. Now you're going to look at me like I'm crazy. But I would actually say to you that it's actually easier because you get a flow of thought rather than just kind of, hey, here's one, we're just going to cherry pick verses, and here's one verse over here about that, and then here's kind of a verse over here that I like as well. I think it's probably easier over time, and there are methods for doing this that help you in that. I think Andy Davis's uh, in a, an approach to extended memorization of scripture is really helpful for memorizing sections. So I would start there. A great passage for you to memorize is the section is Philippians 2, 5 through 11. We're going to look at it and meditate on it here in a little bit. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Wonderful passage to memorize. And so when you think of just glorious texts, glorious sections, memorize those texts, those sections. Start off with a verse. And you meditate upon that verse, and you move to the next verse, while also reciting the previous verse. You recite the next verse. Say it out loud over and over and over. You meditate on its meaning, what it points to Jesus. And you keep, you keep that approach as it goes on. Andy Davis' approach to extended memorization scripture is excellent. You can get it for free online, PDF. So look online. Um, if you want to go chapter, Romans 8, of course, is a glorious chapter. You can start there. Wonderful chapter. It'll stir your affections for the Lord. And as well, start out memorizing just a, just a small little epistle. Jude. Wonderful little book. You do Jude, Philemon, great books to memorize. Starting out. All right. As well, when you're memorizing scripture, you want to take it. 
you want to take it with you throughout the day. So, a great Bible app for memorizing scripture is called Verses. Anybody know what Verses is? Are we serious? Nobody else knows what Verses is. Okay. Man, I feel like Is there a like cooler, like, scripture memory app out there? Or anybody just go, we're just not memorizing the Bible. Um, so Verses is a great Bible app, and you can just, and you'll know how, you'll know how to do it. And there's actually kind of like games with it. It's kind of weird how you have to like, you know, guess each word that's next and like all this kind of stuff. And so it's kind of helpful for just, you know, constantly scoring it up and thinking through a passage. Verses Bible app is great. Three by five card is classic. Haley does a method called the Lord of the Rings. Is that right? The Lord of the Rings. You gotta love that. It's like you get a big ring, you start a three-by-five card in that thing. On the back, you put the scripture reference. On the front, you put the scripture, and you just start memorizing it day in and day out. She would love to teach you how to do that. It's wonderful. We've got to do that as well. It's great. Um, put them on your bathroom mirror. Put them in your car. Put them wherever you are throughout your day, on your phone. You know, some people put it right there in that home screen of scripture so that they memorize it. Always put it before you. In Matthew 4, 4, Jesus says, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So if you don't eat physical food, you what? You die. You die. Likewise, if you don't eat spiritual food, you die. Reading God's word is one of the primary ways that we feast on Christ, who is the one that always all right, so how do we plan to make time? How are you going to plan to make time to meditate on the word over the break? You need a plan. Time, a place, and a plan. Secondly, our communication with him. Prayer. One Puritan once wrote, you guys are looking at me like I'm weird. One Puritan once wrote, what we take in by the word we digest by meditation and let out by prayer. What we take in by the word, we digest by meditation and let out by prayer. The Bible clearly demonstrates that we are to pray. Jesus teaches us to pray. 6, 5 to 13. Paul commands us to continue steadfastly in prayer. That's why our prayer guide for you is called be steadfast. And as well to pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. But we've all got something in common when it comes to prayer. What is it? What is it? Okay, well that's true. At least maybe for some. I mean, there's some people I've known who just keep their eyes open the time. That is really weird. Um, but keep going. What else? Okay, we can pray the same scripture, which we're going to get out for sure. That's good. He says, he tweeted this out, I think last week. 
You guys are not the Blue Team. But it is. We are in the information age. Um, I love the encouragement that he gives, and I pray that it encourages you to want to pray more and to know to just keep on going. He says, you're not the odd one out in your struggles with prayer. It's not your secret shame. You're just a sinner. Naturally inclined away from faith and prayer. We're all sinners. And you know who the friend of sinners is? It's Christ. What will ultimately help your prayer life isn't getting up ten minutes early to pray. Well, that can be helpful. That's not ultimately what's needed. Rather, we need the goal of our time to be communing with the living God whose throne of grace that we can now approach with confidence in the blood of Christ. When we enter into prayer, we're entering into a conversation that's already been started by God, by the God of the universe. And we have the privilege of continuing that conversation that he started. Prayer is a personal response to a personal God. God has stooped down and he has bent his ear to hear our voice and we get to respond to him. And like any conversation, it would be rude if you didn't respond to them whenever they're speaking. Right? God is speaking in his word right here, and it would be rude not to respond to him in prayer. And that's exactly what prayerlessness is. A prayerless life is one that perpetually stops the God-initiated conversation. God has communicated to us in his word so that we can have intimate fellowship with Christ in prayer. And so I think we can define this, uh, define prayer this way. This is the definition of you've got it your hand out right there. Prayer is the expression of our faith in response to the knowledge of God. It's laying hold of a sovereign father and reverently refusing to let go. So prayer is the expression of our faith, and faith comes from hearing the word of God, according to Romans 10, 17. And the word of God is the gospel. Then it only makes sense that scripture and prayer go together. Because the gospel is birth to both. We pray scripture because when we pray God's word, we're praying according to his will. The word of God is the will of God, and we pray according to his will when we pray his word as it's right and understood. And when we do this, our prayers become God-centered rather than me-centered. Lord, help me. Though that is good to pray in some occasions. So what are some practical ways, practical ways to pray? Pray scripture. All right, so that's the first application. Pray scripture. Practical way to pray, number one. Pick a passage, read it a couple times, meditate on it, like we just talked about, whether that's in Psalms or whether that's going through a couple of gospel questions. Meditate on it, and then pray it. Pray that scripture back to God. Pray that scripture for someone else. Go through the member directory and pray those scriptures over people in the member directory. Meditate on it. Pray it for your own life. I think a helpful way is just the Acts prayer method. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving. So, adoration. When you look at this text, ask yourself, what can you praise God for in this passage? What can you praise God for in this passage? Confession. Ask what sin you need to confess from this passage. Thanksgiving. Ask what you can thank God for from this passage. Supplication. Asking God for things to give Him glory. Right, so ask what you can pray for yourself, families, and others from this passage. Very simple. 
this adoration question, thanksgiving, supplication. We're actually going to practice this here in the morning session. Praying the Psalms, like I just said, go through that adore, admit, aspire, and use those questions to meditate on the text, turn that meditation into prayer. Pray the prayers of Paul. Here are a couple of great prayers that you can be praying for people. So go and meditate on this passage and then pray these prayers for people. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. These are the prayers of Paul. 2 Thessalonians 1, 3 through 12. Colossians 1, 9 through 14. Romans 15, 14 through 33. Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. Am I understand? Yeah. I'll go back and start at the beginning. 2 Thessalonians 1, 3 through 12. Colossians 1, 9 through 14. Romans 15, 14 through 33. Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. And then Philippians 1, 9 through 11. Anybody miss it? Helpful prayers of all that you can be praying for yourself or others as well. Other ways that you can pray, use prayer cards. These are super helpful. So I think uh, in Capelli Community, they've got a helpful way of just kind of thinking about prayer cards and how to use them. On Fridays, pray for your friends within the church and non-Christian friends. So Fridays, pray for friends. On Mondays, pray for the men you know in your church or in your life. On Wednesdays, pray for women you know in the church or in your life. A helpful, simple way, simple way of doing it. So Fridays, friends, Mondays, men, Wednesdays, women. As well, pray through the member directory. One helpful thing that the church gives to you is everybody in this. If you're a member, you're in this. You can pray for people in the member directory. And thankfully, they teach you how to use the member directory and how you can be praying for, uh, through all the people in the member directory. They even give you things over here that you can be praying for people. Super helpful. Use this. Pray through the directory. Outside of the Bible, this is one of the best resources you can have. Stop making fun of me. <laughs> um, and then as well, get the Be Steadfast Prayer uh, newsletter. You can get that going straight into your inbox, and you can begin praying for people throughout the week. As well, there's hard copies, I think, right as you go into the door. Lastly, corporate prayer. You knew we were going to get to the church. Corporate prayer. When the church comes on the scene in the book of Acts, we see the church devoting itself to prayer in Acts 2, and in praising God for the release of Peter and John from the elders uh, from the elders in Jerusalem in Acts 4. However, often praying together as a church, right? they're devoting themselves to prayer, but yet often praying together as a church can just kind of get pushed to the sidelines. And what, how often do we use prayer just as a transition within services? You see this all the time. Right? I just need to pray, thank you, and then like, okay, now everybody's up on stage, we're ready to rock and roll. Okay? We just use it as a transition. Rather than actually spending time praying together, right? meditating upon the scriptures, praying the scriptures for the body, for other churches in the area, for those around the world, for their own good, for God's glory. So praying together as a church is important for a couple of reasons. I like the way the compelling community uh, draws, draws this out. I don't have a book, but it's a great book. The compelling community, you know, the book's all, and then all. 
When we pray together, our needs become public. When God answers, His glory becomes public. Corporate prayer also teaches the body how to pray, and it fosters unity in the church. So our focus becomes more on biblical priorities rather than just praying for my aunts and nieces and nephew to get over the flu. We're praying for God to reconcile broken marriages. We're praying that God would cause our neighbors to be born again. These are the kinds of things that we're praying for. All of this should include praying for friends and families and churches. It encourages me whenever I hear someone pray in ways that maybe I just need to think about. It teaches you how to pray when you hear others pray. Go to the Sunday night service. Pray for the body. Pray for various ministries. Go to your life group. Pray for one another. Get to know others. And how do you be praying for them? Pray over lunch, over dinner. Meet weekly to pray together. Gather other students to pray together on campus. To pray for the salvation of students in your classes. Get together and pray. Go on prayer walks. We did that all the time. I don't know. Have you heard these things? Prayer walks? At all? Like when people get together and they prayer walk? Okay, so it's still, it's still going on. All right, my old school. That's good. Praise God. All right. Prayer isn't about eloquence. It's not about the exercise of the tongue, but it's about the exercise of faith in response to the knowledge of God. That's what it is. All right, the church. So finally, uh, the last kind of pathway to communing with Christ is just meeting with God's people. It's meeting with God's people, belonging to a church, to a community. In the early church, Christians not only devoted themselves to the word and prayer, but also to fellowship. Communion with Christ happens through our communion with one another in fellowship. When we think of sanctification or the pursuit of holiness, we often think of it just as an individual. It's just between me and God. However, when the Bible speaks about sanctification, it's usually speaking about one's corporate process, this corporate process. It places it in the context of the local church. Meaning that holiness happens within a community with other believers such that as Russell Moore put it, the question of sanctification then is not what you're doing to promote your growth in godliness, but what are we doing to promote your growth in godliness? And one of the first ways that you can grow in godliness in the local church is just by locking arms with other believers by becoming a member. It's by committing yourself to membership and then practicing what we call the ministry of presence. What's the ministry of presence? Does anybody know? That may be kind of new. I don't use that one. Ministry of Presence. Very simple. Jake. There you go. Being at church. Ministry of Presence. Being. Okay? This is the very thing that the author of Hebrews encourages us for. To consider stirring up one another in love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. So how is it that you encourage one another? How is it that you stir one another up to love and good works? Well, it means you're showing up. And it means that you've got a purpose whenever you're showing up. You're trying to encourage one another. You're trying to stir one another up to love and good works. And so it's when we meet together that we're able to do these things. I think as well, what we see is that in the local church and deepening our communion with Christ and growing us in our pursuit of holiness is really just founded in the proclamation of God's word. It's central to everything that we do. One of the main ways that God uses our gathering to conform us to Christ is by hearing His Word preached. 
The same word that brought creation into existence in Genesis 1. The same word that brought the valley of dry bones to life in Ezekiel 37. And the same word that brings new creation life to those who were once spiritually dead. Right? It's that word that is preached on Sunday morning. As God's in this Romans in 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, the gospel. Paul commanded, to Timothy, Paul commanded Timothy to devote himself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching, to preach the word in season and out of season. When God's word is proclaimed, it creates what it commands. So God's word brings about supernatural faith that breeds supernatural community. When the word is preached, it equips the body for the work of ministering to the As the word is preached to us, it equips us to, be able to better be able to go and to love one another. And so what are some ways that the word equips us to that change? Well, one is just by loving one another. Jesus says in John 13, 35, that our love for one another as believers confirms that we're truly converted in disciples of Jesus. In John 17, 20-21, Jesus prays for his disciples' unity because he confirms his deity that the Father is sinful. Our love for one another is a result of the gospel, and it's a witness to Christ. And so when we show love to one another, we're putting Christ on display for the world to sit up and take notice. Loving one another could look like a whole lot of things. It could look like taking the coffee to an exhausted mother. For exhausted parents who just had a kid. It could look like saying, you know what? For the sake of this 85-year-old lady, we're going to sing a little bit of Fanny Crosby. It could look like that. Looking not just to your own interests, but to the interests of others. So friends, who have you learned from about loving others? Who do you know that loves others well? Notice what they're doing, and then you go and do the same. Go and do the same. Next. Not only does the church give shape to our holiness through the proclamation of God's word, but also through discipling relationships. We need discipling relationships. The author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 3, 12 through 13, Take care, brothers, lest there, be, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Notice that this text is aimed at the other brothers and sisters in the faith to pursue the one dripping from the faith. And we find this in discipling relationships, right? That it prevents us, that those discipling relationships can prevent us from becoming deceived by sin. They prevent, well, they also add to us just the exhortation, the encouragement that we get week in and week out when we meet with someone for accountability. They prevent us from being deceived. When we get blind to our sin, they call us out in our sin. They remind us of the truths of the gospel. Our discipleship is a community affair. Right? They're there to bring a word of encouragement, of love, of warning, of rebuke, and training in righteousness. So who are you discipling? And who is discipling you? Who are you discipling? And who is discipling you? You need to consider this building break. So that when you come back, if you don't have anybody that you're regularly meeting with, come talk to me. I would love to get you set up with someone to disciple you. And you also need to think about, who are you disciples? If Jesus commanded us to go and make disciples, who are we disciples? So we need to think about these things at the break. Think about it. This is where we can read the word together. 
learning to pray together as a community, where we can meet up with one another in the one-to-one -one Bible reading plan, and then pray the scriptures together. Yeah, so Hebrews 3, 12 through 13. Yeah. So are you minimizing your relationships or are you maximizing them? Maximize those relationships. Get with one another. Disciple others within the body. And let them disciple you. Make it a goal to be discipled by the semester. Okay. Praise God. Alright, I'm just going to conclude this. Praise God that he is faithful to finish the work that he started in you by his spirit in faith. He will finish what he has started. And he does that by it being lived out among the community of his people. God accomplishes supernatural ends through ordinary means. Prayer doesn't look extraordinary. Meeting with someone for discipleship doesn't look extraordinary. Getting in the word doesn't look that extraordinary. Not every time that you read the word are you just going to get brought up to seventh heaven, right? I mean, it's, that's not the case every single time. Yet, God accomplishes supernatural ends through ordinary means. So, friends, what is your plan for Christmas break? We looked at a lot of practical application. What is your plan? Get a time, a place, and a plan. For the word, for prayer, and when you go back, try to lock arms with other believers in the church in your hometown. And so you do that. I'm going to pray for this. We are. Go on. All right, I'm praying. Father, we give praise to you that in your mercy that you give it to us in various means of grace to conform us to the image of Christ. Lord, we pray that we would be diligent to take hold of those means. And Lord, that we would place ourselves on the pathway of that grace and receive Christ day in and day out. Lord, we pray that we would be diligent to do so and that out of a hunger and love for Christ and a desire to want to deepen that fellowship with you. Lord, help us by your spirit we pray in Jesus' name. One question. Gotta be quick. If there are any questions, yeah, sure. Brett? Brett was like kind of reading large chunks of scripture. So uh, reading through the Bible in a year. In college, I think I was I was going through uh, the one year Bible. Have y'all heard of this? There's a thing called the one year Bible. You can get it online on Amazon. That's what I went through in college because it just literally, it just already had it set up for me. So that was really helpful. Um, but yeah, so one year Bible, you can something. Okay.